Hi everyone. So, Life of Real Book Club is where we talk about books and just about everything else. And uh, our conversation started looking back on high school trauma <laughs> that was uh, facilitated by certain groups. Um, so you'd hear us talk about that in the beginning. Um, wait, what else did we talk about? We spoke about mental health. We spoke about abortion. We we cover a lot of things in this episode, like mental health, abortion, religion. Yeah, if that sounds good, keep listening. Um, I'm Jareen. I'm Christina. And I'm Ashley. And then I said, it's weird because my, my relationship with Christianity has never been super strict, like, uh, or super potent. I've always had, I feel like I've had a very cultural and very casual relationship with uh, Christianity as a religion. And a lot of, I mean, I went to church camp and I'd go to church sometimes uh, on Sundays, but it wasn't like I grew up in the church. But then there is this morality attached to being a Christian and it being like, if you're not a Christian, then that means you're a bad person. And I I took that to heart. And it's still something that I'm unlearning because, I mean, there's a lot of things about, there's a lot of things about uh, traditional Christianity and like uh, the the doctrine of it that is, uh, it doesn't sit well with me and there is... I mean, I don't know. That's a whole different conversation, but I find that there's a huge part of my personality that feels as if I'm a bad person because I'm not like there, there, there. I have more standout moments of I'm in church or I'm at church camp that have seared themselves into my mind. One of it being like a lukewarm Christian. That's the worst thing, you know. Like you can, it's 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 bad if you're a backslider, but not so bad as being like a lukewarm Christian where you're like on the fence. You have one foot in the real world and one one foot in the in the Christian world, and you're like you need to choose because you can't have two masters and whatever, whatever. And it's like, yo, I can I just live? I don't know. I don't know. And and it just. Uh, the whole issue of God being this jealous God and like you're going straight to hell because there's absolutely no nuance in Christianity as a religion. It's like very all or nothing, very black or white. And I don't know, it's just, it takes a lot of unlearning and it's very, very difficult because you don't realize how psychologically ingrained some of these messages are in your mind until you're trying to challenge them. And I feel like I just like I feel like a bad person all the time, but that's a that's a different that's a different conversation. I didn't know about passion and purity until Yui. Um, what we had was that shit started at our school. Or I what was it? Yeah, ISC into school Christian fellowship thing. Jerin, passion and, and purity started at Bulma's girls because we had a I was about to say psycho, but let me not say psycho. But we had a very extremely religious uh, personal development re teacher who just like she targeted some of the girls at that school and like honestly it's really just grooming honestly like I she groomed it yes christina was one of them and i was almost one of them too 
Christina, you were one of them that started the club, or you were. She you was a foundational member. Yeah. Oh, wow. Look how Truly far you've come. So True backslide. <laughs> and she was so. I remember in sixth form when we were in upper six, and we had um sixth form concert, and I danced, and we were dancing to some dancehall songs. Listen, and Christina's and an excellent dancer, and Christina so can you know. Listen. That was so you were whining for Christ? No. I was not. It not was for Christ. Not for Christ. <laughs> and she was so disappointed. Like, she called me up, like, some days after she saw me over by the gazebos hanging out. And she called me over and she was like, she's so disappointed that I participated in that. And I was just like, damn, sorry, girl. I always wonder when these clubs pop up if they would allow other religious groups like just a mirror of it. So if there was, I don't know, an inter-school Muslim faith thing or if there was a passion and purity for Muslim girls, if like what would the response for that would be? Because, yeah, it, <laughs> I think I have a good idea. It wouldn't fly almost because. But why do we allow religious dogma from Christians? Or why do we see it as dogma when it's another religion? It's just something that's so colonial and interesting. It's a Christian school. I remember when this girl, remember the girls who were Jehovah's Witness and they weren't participating in Devotion One, one general assembly and. Mrs. Montague called them up, like stop devotion, called them up in front of the the school and punished them because they weren't participating in devotion. Punish yeah. them for not what? Yeah, yeah but they're witnesses though. They're witnesses, right? And they said that, like, we're witnesses. We don't participate in like in other people's worship. worship. Punish them. Just yeah. Punish them. Wow. So that should give you an idea of what um, a non-Christian anything would look like at almost it just would not fly it wouldn't i don't know in, in my high school it was okay for you to have another religion but it wasn't okay for you to be atheist or agnostic like that was just oh. not organized that's all that's so, interesting that's like my one of my closest friends was hindu and that was fine and you, she's not participating in devotion that's fine witnesses you didn't have to participate in devotion if you're asked but like I had to participate, even though I said, yeah, I, I don't believe in this. It's just like, it's not recognized. Like, well, what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean you don't believe in a God? Or what do you mean you don't believe in that God or you're agnostic? So I was like, but, you know, you learn about this in RE class. Why, why, why are you like the, the, I don't know, it's intellectually, I don't know if it's intellectually dishonest or if it's just brainwashing. This idea that we can learn about different religions, but the idea of meeting people that practice it, or it's it's something that you keep at arm's length, or it's something that you don't actually accept. It's like, well, we're not murdering you, so it's accepted. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what um, it is. Um, but I didn't know about passion and purity until I went to UWE and I was like oh what the heck is this and I didn't know about love march movements until I was studying abroad I was studying abroad and I saw it online and I was like 
oh wow this looks like really cool it's like a lgbt organization <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like one my yeah, it sounds like a great gay pride parade it and does. i saw like the colors and then i was like oh oh wait <laughs> I think yeah. everyone has. Where when the first time I heard it, I was like, hmm, is this a love? It sounds like a pride parade. And then you read the fine print and you're like, oh, of- it's trying to what preserve the Jamaican family or some shit like that. And um, yeah. that is an offshoot of the Passion and Purity movement too because uh, the lady who started Passion and Purity. Really? Yeah, mm-hmm. when I went to Yui and I learned about passion and purity, I was like, Oh, passion and purity is like the high school version of Love March movement, and Love March movement is for like more young adult type things. So, yeah. like, once you've left high school, university, and young professionals type of thing, that part yeah. I absolutely did not know. Yeah, but I don't know, they're really nice to me, it scares me. <laughs> Who was I it should scare you. It's all of the leaders, like Daniel and all of those people, they're really nice to me. Like oh. they'll see me and they go, Hi Jerry, and they're super, super nice. And I'm just like, Are you guys going to kidnap me? Or <laughs> what's happening? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but they're really I'm I'm sure they're not terrible human beings. They're just terrible to other human beings that aren't like I them. Know, I know um I know one of the girls from who's in Love March. Um she used to go to Wilma's as well. I remember seeing her, I think she was at one of the abortion hearings. I think she was presenting for them. Mm-hmm. Um, when I met her in high school, she was a really really sweet girl very smart very you know quirky nice enough and then um a couple of years ago with the same abortion when this the same abortion thing and i saw her on facebook um some video that love march had posted and she was there talking about how you know abortion is murder blah 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 i was just like huh did not see this coming from you at all so they're not terrible people, but they do terrible things. Okay, so for those listening who don't know at all, <laughs> Love March Movement, um, according to their Facebook page, I'm sorry, just reading it off now, is a Christian youth NGO dedicated to the family and sexual purity. We are history makers, followers of Christ, lovers of God, and lovers of people. Yeah. You know? I've always found it interesting that a lot of a lot of organizations that do the type of work that they do, a lot of it is anti something. So mm-hmm. I'm scrolling through their page now and everything is anti abortion. Everything is actually an anti fornication. Um so a lot of it is grounded in being against yeah. something not so much a celebration of who yeah. they are yeah. um which which to me just speaks volumes oh an anti-porn a more anti-abortion there's actually nothing on their page as i'm scrolling about through no about celebrating right. about who they are what they love a lot of it is just being against something yeah. Um, maybe that's just 
my yeah there's a lot of abortionist murder thing wow sometimes i honestly forget that people like this exist until i have a hard reminder which is sad because this does not represent the majority it's just a lot of load people People like Love March and Passion and Purity are extremely triggering for me because religion and Christianity has been or was the source of my depression in my teens. Because coming into one, coming into your queerness, or at least some form of that, um, where your mind and your heart is telling me, boy, you kind of like this, you know or you're interested in this and then growing up in church well yeah i kind of did grow up in church um my parents didn't go to church but they're they're the kind of jamaicans where them synagogue church every sunday anyway even though they're not interested in it and so i used to go to church every sunday since i was about i don't know maybe five or six and so growing up as a teen and you know everything that comes with that your body changing your hormones racing um you're suddenly discovering new things about yourself and who you are and then none of that reconciled with everything that you're hearing from church which is usually that everything that you seem to have an interest in interest in and everything that you are is wrong and that that will eventually lead to your eternal damnation like i used to get terrible nightmares because of that and i remember like almost every sunday whenever i'd go to church i'd feel like shit i'm just one ball i'm just one runway because it just seemed like it, it really fueled and propelled that idea of not being good enough in me because again you're you're almost always trying to um arrive at this zenith this perfect christian i mean they'll tell you that there's no such thing as a perfect christian but there really is and there's a standard and if you don't meet that standard um then you're going to hell and the entire christian journey really is you trying to attain this level of um purity this level of perfection that you that they know that you can't reach and so when I was a teen, I was completely depressed by it. So even though I would fully participate, or well, I'd say perform Christianity, um, even being a part of something like Passion and Purity and ISCF, I'd really perform the role and then go home and go home at evening time and just cry my fucking eyes out because I felt so worthless and just wrong. That my existence felt wrong like everything about who i was felt extremely wrong and even now um i still get extremely triggered by it well not extremely it depends but i get triggered by it because it's like this constant reminder that eh, something about you is wrong um what you're doing is wrong who you are is wrong and so it's like this this continuous fight to remind yourself that you're valid so when I see people like Love March, like I get sincerely pissed off by them. Like sincerely, because I know what they're doing. And I can, having my own experience, I can just imagine how many, how many other young people 
who are either forced into participating in, in, in groups like that or feel like they have to participate in it in order to wash themselves of the, of the sinful nature. Um, I can just imagine how many of them are experiencing that kind of turmoil and experiencing this sense of unbelonging because who they are is quote-unquote incorrect yeah yeah but also everything you just said christina for sure but also you realize how much uh, support uh, movements like that have in jamaica um and in the wider caribbean too because i read an article about uh, the church in particular in Barbados hosting protests across the island because of the government's or the law's stance to try and um, well bring same-sex or to not bring but like in support of same-sex marriage and so they had like decriminalized it so they have uh, they've been having protests for a few days now um because of it um but like i remember when love march movement i think it was when they started to review the abortion bill if it's not a bill but an aspect of the bill um that dealt with abortion sexual offenses after whatever it is about anti-abortion law and it's against the person Okay, I just remember that, or I don't know if you guys remember, but they had a huge, huge, huge march in Halfway Tree when um, talks about, uh, you know, because ever so often these conversations come to public attention and they started to, their reviews of this, this bill and this law and whatever. And so they just come out of the, the woodwork and you realize that this church group or this association and these friends of whoever have a crap ton of money to be giving to people to be buying t-shirts and flyers and armbands and ads on primetime television. Love March Movement was has been on primetime television. And if you know anything about advertising on TV, especially like, news time you know so those slots are not cheap and so there is a huge reservoir of money that is pushed at these uh, movements that have a lot of harmful beliefs for a huge cross-section of uh, our population and so it's just it's really disheartening because i remember i'm i'm not a very confrontational person i really am not and i was with the Christoph, because uh, we made the submission together in Parliament, and he, we saw like a group that was opposed to what we had believed in, and this lady was trying to talk to him, and he just like shut her down. But I was kind of having a conversation with her, and um, it wasn't going anywhere, so I eventually just kind of walked away from it. But uh, another woman's rights activist was talking to her too, and it just it really begs the question that you were trying so hard to not have these uh, children um, aborted and you want them to come into the world okay but then the support that they need the mother the support that the mother needs the support that the child needs to have a not even a a life that's like is like a, a thriving life but a life that is just the bare minimum of what a decent human life is 
you don't want to push the funds towards that. So what's the point of introducing this person into the world if they're going to still suffer and there's not the, the adequate resources that are needed for this person to like really be a, a complete human being and not necessarily... I mean, for me, I just think that uh, the, the, the fight stops at bringing the person into the world. There's no, there's a complete disregard to having them have a good quality of life after they're into this world. And it just, it doesn't make any sense. It feels really incomplete. It feels very false. And uh, like there's a false concern of genuine care for this life that you that you're advocating and fighting for because when these people come to you and ask for money or when these people are demanding for social services or more help from the state or from other institutions that should help them there's no there's the money is not allocated or it's sometimes allocated and sometimes not and people have to go fend for themselves and the cycle continues and then you will continue to fight for this thing that you supposedly believe in but it's not there's no longevity to it and it just I don't know, it just feels a little, it feels insincere. Or maybe not insincere, but um, the approach seems uh, skewed. There are so many places you could take this. I mean, so wait, hold on. The religion and abortion, what books have we read that talk about that? Or even like religion and miscarriage too. Yeah, Yo. mothers. I've actually never thought about I've never thought about how religious groups treat miscarriage. That was actually how the miscarriage thing is how I decided. Like that was my nail in the coffin with regards to religion. I remember reading something about barren women. Um and it was basically saying I wonder if I can find the actual thing. But I remember that quote, barren woman. And I was like, what? Why would you say that? And it's like in the Bible about barren women basically being worthless. I was just like, the or fuck? Like a, so like, <laughs> it's a condemnation of uh, things that your ancestors did. And it's uh, it's manifesting in you Like, right now. first of all, if you created me and you created me barren, you're saying you've created me useless and also if I don't want to and it was just like this rabbit hole of hold on you're telling me like all the women in the bible your purpose was either to be a mother or a, to be someone's mother or wife or a concubine yeah. or 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 someone who is like the listeners to not be like a Delilah or something it's yeah. it's the few times you've mentioned women, it's about their reproductive systems and not necessarily in a way that they get to control either. So what yeah. the fuck? This is half of the population. You're like that was it. Like there's so many moments where I've actively tried to be Christian, and then the more I read was just it's like no, no, no. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. If this is how it actually is, and this is what you actually believe in, I am okay with whatever punishment is coming my way because this this is not it. Agreed. Yeah. There's a. I mean, um, again, I have a very complicated. I can't think of any books with miscarriages though, mm. besides the Bible. I was looking for the mothers. Um. 
because uh, when we were talking about books with mental health, it was one of the books that came to mind because I remembered that the mother of the protagonist, she had committed suicide. And so it started with that. Yes, I was looking for, I was trying to remember what happens in The Mothers by Britt Bennett. Um, Because I remember that it started with uh, the mother of the protagonist committing suicide and uh, the protagonist herself getting pregnant in her teens. I think she was probably like 16 and she had an abortion and... uh, so much of this story then well not so much but from the story we get how these mothers that is the the mothers who are the the older women in church who are considered mothers you know in jamaica we have them as prayer warriors and all sorts of other things um these elderly women in the church and these women who are revered as um important statues not just in the church but within the community itself and it's how these women come together to basically tear down um the yeah to congregate gossip as is very very commonplace within the church um in general i'm not i'm not demonizing gossip gossip is great um but we get an understanding of how the church works in terms of women who get pregnant, in terms of women who um, have any sort of mental illness. The immediate response is, of course, to demonize because we haven't moved into a place or into a realm where it is, where it makes sense to interrogate things. Um, and it's that's extremely scary. Like it's really, really scary. Um, a lot of the times when I think about friends who I've had when I was younger, who got pregnant while we were in church out of wedlock, and the sort of response that they received from church members from a, for a lot of people, it was condemnation. It was, um, it was shunning. Um, though they didn't do it overtly but of course if you spoke to these women um you know a lot of them felt like they were alienated and basically excommunicated without it being official and um i know of circumstances where people have had to apologize in front of their churches to um for getting pregnant and it it's extremely bothersome how People don't allow the people within the church. And it sounds like a huge generalization, but I don't think that I've seen enough to the contrary to not generalize. But it seems like people within the church are um, unwilling to um, or don't know how to think beyond what is said by the pastor or said um, within the Bible. And even if you listen to, sometimes when you listen to, um, I'd call them new age theologists um, because I've been listening to a few black women who are studying theology and how they're um, analyzing and dissecting the Bible. Um, It's, it becomes apparent as well that a lot of people aren't reading this Bible with any sort of critical thought. 
And we can understand why, because when you grow up in the church, you're taught that um, questioning the Bible is questioning God, and therefore that's blasphemous and sacrilegious. But um, reading it with some critical thought, uh, you'd realize that so many of the things that we've accepted as um, cold, hard facts <laughs> um, or things that we believe, um, they don't hold up to scrutiny. And so again, this conversation about women who get pregnant and women who decide to abort their children for whatever reason, um, the church, which has elected itself and propped up itself as a safe space for people to run into um, when the world has turned against them. As I said that, I'm remembering that scene from The Hunchback of Notre Dame where, um, what's her name? Esmeralda, where she claims sanctuary in the church, um, which is so brilliant because, again, it's this idea that this place is supposed to be a refuge. It's supposed to be somewhere where you can come to lay down your burdens, right? Uh, yeah, but you know that the head of the church was also very right, creepy. He was a rapist. <laughs> I'm gonna call him a rapist. He really in the book, yeah, in the Disney show, they just hint at it in terms of him saying yeah. that she's seducing him, and it, right. it was oh gosh, that's such a dark Disney movie. But yeah, so sorry, good. go ahead. So good. so good, it's one of my favorites. So good, um, but yeah, but I mentioned that to mention the sanctuary part that um, it's that idea, it's that that unfortunate irony that this place is supposed to be a place of sanctuary but for so many people especially women especially queer people this place is not safe at all in fact it's the source of so many people's trauma and it's that's the same thing with the mothers right um fuck if i could remember the name of the protagonist i'll find it um nadia i think it is um get to witness now this protagonist sort of seeing the church for what it is or maybe seeing it with fresh pairs of eyes um especially coming off of the heel of her mom's suicide so we get to see her experience with this church um having had a child having aborted the child um not having had a child having been pregnant and then aborting um the pregnancy it's just, it's all fuckery. Have you started reading Transcendent Kingdom by Yagyasi? Uh, I still don't know to pronounce your name after all these Not years. Yet. I haven't read it yet. I started reading it. I haven't finished. I, I put it down. But it's very different from Homegoing. Just don't expect anything at all like Homegoing going into it. Pretend it's a new author. <laughs> but it also has a suicidal mother and it also and her the main the protagonist her mom becomes suicidal after her brother dies from a drug overdose i hope i'm getting this correct because I, I didn't finish it uh but a lot it, it it she's a phd candidate and a lot of her research is based around understanding addiction and it's interesting because in it, she's also, she herself has given up or is giving up on religion. And a lot of it is because of 
just the the gaps in terms of understanding addiction, understanding what makes someone suicidal, understanding a lot of the mental health that goes into it. And it's interesting to me to, I, I've, it's not something I actively seek out in terms of books where people lose their religion, but it's always interesting to understand how the unraveling happens and what are the questions people are asking when they don't find those answers in religion or, or the other way around. What are the questions people are asking when they find themselves involved in religion? And it's, it's interesting to me when religion and mental health comes in because there aren't a lot of answers with regards to mental health in religion. Um, I, when I just got diagnosed, my mom clearly like she's extremely intelligent um brilliant woman and it, it was interesting to hear her grapple with understanding that yeah something is wrong you do need um medical professional help and i'm here to support you through that and she's really great with that but at the same time it's maybe you should pray about it and i'm like what <laughs> or or um or something with regards to religion or maybe and there's it, nothing that and then you could hear way. her hear herself in terms of how ridiculous it sounded because if it was any other type of physical ailment or something else that she had a better understanding of it's not don't take your medication pray instead it's so it, it's interesting because a lot of these issues especially when it comes to mental health religion is doesn't address it and if it is addressing it it's very obvious that it's uh, a new reinterpretation of it or they're trying like bending over backwards to fit into this conversation for me anyways that's just my perspective i'm sure there are lots of religious people out there who are about to unsubscribe <laughs> um as you mentioned that, I was, I was remembering this article that I found, I think it was last year or so, or some time ago, um, where they were discussing religious trauma syndrome. Um, it's sort of a play-ish on PTSD about people who, um, similarly to what I was describing earlier about myself, people who have experienced so much trauma because of religion um, that it's almost impossible for them, not impossible, but it's difficult and challenging for them to fully separate themselves from the, from, from religion because of so many, because of so many, so much, um, hurt and abuse that they associate with it. Right. So religious trauma syndrome within that, I realized that for one, it happens to a lot of queer people, right? And I also remember um, a couple of weeks ago, I had done a small poll on IG asking people if they were practicing Christians and if they're not anymore, what were the reasons that fueled them separating themselves from the church? And quite a few persons responded to me about their queerness, you know, um, this is who I am. And then my religion did not coincide with that. Um, it felt like constant hate, hate, hate. And that was that completely impacted my mental health and how I viewed myself. And so I had to leave. And I'm remembering, no, I'm thinking now that, you know, so much of 
I think so much, so much of our understanding of mental health and mental illness is, um, it's filtered down from the church and Christian belief, as you rightly mentioned. Like, I got diagnosed a couple of weeks ago, and I was telling when I told my mother, for one, outside of the fact that you know she didn't understand how this was at all possible, because you know I'm her child. How is it that you're depressed or have bipolar disorder? That's not a thing. You don't look like somebody who has it. Um, and then her response was, you know, um, you just have to believe in a God say, you know, God are going to make things better, etc. And I know it's coming from a, a good place, but again, it speaks to the lack of understanding about mental health and how we, we, I guess, how we, how we, how we've been taught about religion and this idea of God and God being the bomb in Gilead and being the, the, you to call it um other phrases god i was usually so good at this but then i'm also not remembering patsy right um patsy was extremely depressed for a number of reasons and thinking through how for a lot of people they feel this i uh, would mention um rebel men mentioned it when they were reading patsy the idea of being haunted like you just feel haunted you feel um you feel like something depend you but you can't describe it and i can't help but thinking about how if the church was a space that fully engaged with mental il- mental illnesses and mental health and used the language of mental health and mental illness and sort of separated it from this uh, from this, from the Christian cosmology, for lack of a better word or phrasing, how useful it would be, how critical um, of an intervention the institution could be for so many people who are experiencing um, mental illnesses or um, just not being mentally well. And... Uh, it's 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 really sad and scary and unfortunate that instead of being a space where it could act as a teacher it's done so much disservice to both the people who are experiencing mental illnesses and then um how the general population understands i really loved how nicole dennis ben addressed mental health in patsy because it was so organic and to this day remains one of my favorite reinterpretations or my my favorite representation of it because patsy um first of all the the patsy's mother was it patsy's mom who referred to it as devil's cold so it's the devil's call that you have. Yeah, so it's like yeah. some sort of sickness, but it's not of God. Or they never use the word mental or anything like that. Or they never use mental health or depression, which uh, you as a reader, especially as a reader in today's world where the mental health language is almost commonplace, you understand what Patsy, a Jamaican immigrant from the 90s, is experiencing. And there's a point where she sees a TV ad and they're describing, you know, those TV ads where it's like, are you blah, 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 are you experiencing blah, 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 then you might need this drug. And it's her realizing, oh, wow, that's me. Those are the things I'm experiencing. And yeah, it, it, it was interesting to see that representation of mental health it is also interesting 
to see how much how much of it even if you aren't religious how much of it is still tied into this idea of this is not of god <laughs> or it, it it has to be from the devil. the devil um and i guess that's just a broader christian thing where anything bad happens it's the devil anything good happens it's god <laughs> yeah um I thought that was really good um, with Patsy, how Nicole Dennis Ben wrote it and how, um, one, as Jamaicans, we easily understood it. I mean, you mentioned definitely that as, you know, 21st century people who um, were constant, if, especially if you're, if you're constantly on social media networks, um, you are bombarded by a lot of information about different mental illnesses and what mental what mental illness can look like. And so, you know, you could have readily pick it up. But also as a Jamaican reading it, um, there are just certain things that you could have pinpointed that you could have looked at and said, Jono, this is what this is and this is what is meant by this language. And it's actually kind of great that um, Nicole never really named it or give, gave it a name as you mentioned because again for so many people we don't have the language like we don't know we um we don't understand we don't yeah we don't have that ac- the accurate quote-unquote accurate or well not accurate what's the word the, the the official language or the scientific language for what it is that we are experiencing but we know that we're having this thing and i can't imagine how again useful it would be if people have the space to express that um had a safe space to express that like people who not have twitter and can tweet very self-deprecating things and find a community of people who are equally self-deprecating like imagine oh and queenie was another one um with a grandmother that was not at all interested in the idea of seeking therapy or hearing anything regarding mental health i don't remember if she was religious if the aunt if the grandmother in queenie was religious but I do remember that she was, she wasn't having it. She didn't want to have any sort of conversations about Queenie self-assessing and realizing that she's in tremendous need of professional help. She was not interested in having that conversation. And again, so many, so many elderly people in Jamaica have that view and young people too, to be honest. Um, have that kind of view and I reiterate I really think that um, it filters down from having Christian beliefs the idea that it's of the devil in if you're not if you're not perfectly good and quote-unquote normal then everything external to that is something that was given to you by the devil and so you need to send it back to the devil Um, it's categorized as an infirmity and because Jesus died for all of your infirmities and all of your diseases um if you have it and you're experiencing it then you just need to call on jesus because he already you know he already has the stripes as that scripture says um he already has the stripes for it so 
the fact that you're still experiencing it means that one you're not praying hard enough um if you are praying hard and still nothing is happening then something is happening in your spiritual life that you're not that you have not yet addressed um and yeah so you need to start anyway at the end of it it's you need to start out your life you need to start out yourself and you need to get right with jesus because that's the only way that you'll be well again and i'm realizing that this is a kind of <laughs> triggering conversation for me just because uh, i'm always having this this sort of conversation in my head um where i don't think i fully embraced uh, i haven't fully left behind christianity um despite the fact that i don't actively participate in it um in terms of going to church or reading my bible or i've never been baptized or things like that but there's just some fundamental beliefs that i feel like i've accepted and uh, i don't know how to say or how to challenge them in ways that feel like uh, i am going straight to hell for being critical of something um i mean i pray a lot uh, and uh, even when i pray i don't even like it's not like i'm assigning my prayers to any one entity um and so i just kind of feel like i feel like a little bit of like i'm in a little bit of a spiritual limbo um where that's concerned because of how i feel my, my spirituality should be performed and because it's not that uh, i feel a certain type of way like i have an aunt who every single sunday will send me her church's um live stream and uh, I never go on the links. I never like because I have no interest really in clicking on it. But uh, I don't know. I just feel like uh, I wonder if I take too much or I take I take just enough of what I need from God as a spiritual entity, and I don't give enough of myself over to it. And so I feel a little bit like I am. Um, I, it feels a little bit of a, like an unbalanced type of relationship um, and or one-sided relationship. And I don't know, it makes me a little uncomfortable. Um, also with my own challenges with um, mental health issues, I've uh, been struggling with uh, depression and anxiety related issues for years now. And it just... Uh, I mean, I wonder why the hell I'm going through this and why the hell, um, you know, like I feel this way all the time, but at the same time, there's just, I feel like there's also so much for me to be grateful for. And there's people who have it worse than me that I can't fully lean into the fact that, yo, know, this is something that I am experiencing that is very, very challenging for me because life hasn't been super super challenging or i've had so many other privileges that really acknowledging the fact that this is something that has tested me and pushed me to my limits um feels uh, um it feels like i am finding something to complain about um 
and uh, I don't know it just makes me feel like I'm always worried that I'm not grateful like I'm not expressing enough gratitude for the life that I have and that's the guilt of uh, I guess a uh, interaction or some sort of belief with uh, Shanity that I need to be giving thanks for certain things because things are always worse somewhere else and uh, I just find that a little bit unfair because uh, a lot of the situations that make my life a certain way, I did nothing to really contribute to that. It wasn't really, it just, it felt very random. And so a lot of the Bible verses that I have committed to memory that I would think about when I have, I'm having a stressful time, I'm always having some sort of internal battle with myself because I just kind of feel like uh, it don't make any sense <laughs> and it, it that's so hard to admit because uh, again I kind of I feel like wow who the hell am I to have these uh, alternative beliefs so it's uh, it's very weird and even just uh, the things that the beliefs that my parents have or beliefs that adults in my life who I care about have um, um, and then you compare them to the behaviors that they have it just feels very it's not you know godlike or it's not uh, Christ-like and it just uh, there's a lot of contradiction and a lot of shit to sift through and it's so draining and uh, I'm tired a lot too, and I just I feel like all the, the end result is me just kind of blaming myself because I'm not trying hard enough or I'm not doing the thing that I know that I'm deep down I'm supposed to be doing. I'm not praying hard enough. I'm not doing something enough. And it just, uh, I don't know, it just, it's just that it feels like a hamster wheel all the time. And I don't know how to get off of it. And being in certain spaces helps me, but it always feels really like taboo like oh god <laughs> and it's like <laughs> how is this even something that people are saying right now because I, I fully expect lightning to come out of nowhere and just strike all of us and i don't know i know it sounds really judgy i suppose um and so it's just always to unlearn that or to to remind myself that um I have, yes, I have control to an extent of what happens in my life, but also to a much bigger extent, I have zero control over what happens. And so that that that, that delicate balance is, is difficult to attain. Um, but while you guys were talking about books uh, where they have uh, um, characters that go through some sort of mental illness and it's uh, as a direct result of uh, interactions or um, relationships with the church. Um, I was thinking about The Last Warner Woman by Candelo, as well as uh, Star Side of Burn Hill, um, where we saw that, uh, well, or, well, she wasn't our main character, but the main character's mother had committed suicide. So that speaks to the mental health aspect of it. Uh, it's not so much a Christian, um, uh, Christian what, uh, 
relationship, but uh, there's a spiritual like African retention um, that the grandmother and uh, the little girl, Phaedra, will then grow to have. And so that sort of dynamic between um, between African religions and how they interact with the mental health issues, but also how Christianity, because of uh, history and enslavement of uh, Black people, contributes to this entanglement of thoughts and practices and ideas. And it also blossoms into just this whole different thing that has its own name. And it's, uh, it's just the... Uh, always something to be aware of, um, I suppose. And uh, just the, uh, with the last one of one, and uh, I mean, I don't know if uh, all of the listeners are familiar with who a Warner woman is, but it's essentially a woman or sometimes a man too, but uh, a lot of the, I've always kind of seen it, uh, the representation of uh, this uh, character as a woman who will, be given a message from God that she feels like she needs to deliver to her community. And um, she will deliver this message in the dead of night or in the early morning about repenting. I actually have a friend who said that she had somebody like that who lived in her community and like at 4 a.m., 5 a.m. at the the very highest decibels that a human voice can actually go, a lady would be screaming, repent throughout the entire community. And sometimes I'd have to call police on her. But this character in Camilla's book um, started off being a Warner woman in Jamaica. And then she had to, or she ended up migrating to, I think, the UK and still continued practicing that because that was one of the not missions, but uh, purposes, I suppose, that she was given by God to um, to to share with uh, the people around her. And uh, those type of things don't fly in developed, quote-unquote, and Western countries. And so the relationship between this uh, religiosity and um, mental health comes into play because... Uh, she was uh, institutionalized and uh, um, assessed uh, by people, doctors and whatever it is, staff in the UK who thought that she has a mental illness, but it's just the relationship between, you know, religion and uh, mental illness that can really uh, differ depending on uh, where you live and so I don't know I think that's really interesting but also um, last one August Town because uh, that book uh, speaks about uh, bedwardism and uh, just uh, the the phenomenon also what was his name George Beck Bedward is it George yeah, yeah, yeah. Bedward who was able to okay thank you who was able to rally up an entire following and sure it's uh, alexander it's alexander yeah just oh, google <laughs> oh thank you 
Alexander Bedwood, who was able to get a sizable following and is kind of like a folktale kind of figure, but it's a lot of people, I don't think how many, I'm not sure how many people actually know that this was a real life event that took place. And he was able to convince people that he would ascend to heaven. Um, so there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of mixing of beliefs that happens in the real world and in the fictional world and the spiritual world. And it's uh, as somebody who is in this realm of uh, you know walking and not walking, but like humans who are like in the living space it's it's really the the interactions between all the different realms can be really uh it can sometimes be like sensory overload which uh, gets very 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 tiring um and that's why community i think is important for you to be able to share honestly how you feel um about certain things um, I think I think generally the church, like with everything, it should be subject to critique. Um, um, I know that it's been a space of a lot of anxiety for people. Also, it's been a space of refuge for some, and I find that a lot of people who end up being huge pillars in the church, especially in terms of like a conventional uh, church don't do much reading outside of religious text and so it's kind it's very hard to have any sort of conversation that doesn't automatically lead back to or connect to something some spiritual reason and I think that can be really that that's limiting because uh, like we've said, um in this conversation before there's a lot of things that the bible doesn't address so if it does address it's addressed in a very archaic way um and it doesn't uh, align to 21st century values and beliefs and it doesn't give way or room for nuance and so i think if you have um a leader who is widely read who is not uh, judgmental and who is not to hmm, how do i want to phrase it who doesn't take offense to you knowing more than them because i think that's also a huge thing in the church where people look up to church leaders pastors and elders as godlike figures and so they're people who almost are mediums to god and so whatever they say is gospel and there's no challenge to them and i think that is where things go wrong because we end up glorifying and deifying people like that when they're just like us and they don't know all the answers and i don't believe that i mean i don't know if i believe that people god speaks through other people i'm not sure um but i just don't think that everything that they think that they that is a sign from God is actually a sign from God. And so it, uh, it just gives this weird, this, there's a lot of gray area that uh, is uncharted territories. And uh, it's, uh, it, 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 
there's a there's a void that uh, ends up uh, being really hard to close and the church as it stands right now i don't think can close that gap i think it really needs to modernize i think it needs to admit where it messes up and admit where it needs to build on things that they need to build on and be open to different views be open to alternative views but uh, i guess that's uh, that's a different conversation I just, I'm always so nervous about being on this podcast, to be really honest, because it just, it leaves this space and it goes out into the world and I'm always envisioning somebody listening to me and saying, this girl is an idiot. And so I'm just like trying to dial it back sometimes, but whatever. First of all, fuck those people. (laughs) And that's it. That's the end of my thoughts. For me, it's me saying it and then looking back a few years later. And then I go, wow, that person was an idiot. I am the person calling me an idiot. Like, future Jorin is like. That's how I feel. That's how I feel about publicly stating that I don't like poetry. I'm like, what is wrong with you? I don't listen, I don't re-listen a lot of the podcasts because I get serious second-hand embarrassment from myself. It's like, mm, girl, you sound like an idiot. <laughs> so I just, don't, I just leave it where it is. I leave it where it is and hope that everybody who's listening to it thinks it makes sense. Well, if it makes you feel better, I've been told that y'all are the standard for what intelligence sounds like i don't know what that says about intelligent people <laughs> girl <laughs> what does that say <laughs> for the other people where are you where are their standards where is your standard and why have you not elevated it because ma'am anyway let's wrap up Thanks for listening and we hope that you subscribe to our podcast and share it with everybody that you know. If you're listening on Apple, make sure that you rate and leave a review. Those things really do help and it's really sweet to be able to connect with people if you're listening on anything. Take a screenshot and tag us in it on Instagram. It's always great to randomly get those notifications that people are listening to our podcast, whether it's episode one or the latest episode. So, do that. I saw today that somebody was listening to the first episode. Yeah, that was really sweet. She recently started following us and she's like, oh, it's so great to be able to listen to this at work. And I was like, oh my gosh, episode one. (laughs) Yeah, it's always really sweet to see that. Um, With all the technical difficulties. (laughs) uh, Right? Oh my gosh. Um, oh, and we were on BBC Scotland. Um, Jess had us on and they took a clip of episode one and was playing it. And I was just like, oh my God, this is so embarrassing. <laughs> but really sweet. 